Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your game preview Buckeye talk for the game. We're talking football. Football only on this one. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, Aaron McMahon of M Live, a Michigan beat writer, will be along, uh, along a little bit later to provide his insight from the Michigan side of things. Nathan, Stephen, and I are going to talk about the matchups on both sides of the ball, and then at the end of this podcast, we will make our picks. Seven and a half points, Ohio State favored by the over/unders, fifty-six and a half points. We double-checked, Nathan. Six and a half was a line a year ago. Ohio State was favored by. Seven and a half seems a little bit low to me, but I think for two teams, again, that are very good, very good, but also potentially, I don't know, maybe one-dimensional offensively, a couple of vulnerabilities. I guess I'm not shocked. I did check with Tishu, and certainly we'll get into this more. We did get into it more on the gambling podcast. Um, like the Ohio State-Michigan line, they set that like in September and just let you bet early on that. They don't do that with most games. They do it with Ohio State-Michigan. I couldn't remember. I couldn't find it. Tissue said it was more like 12 and a half to 14 and a half on those early lines. And it's been moving down the whole year. So it, it is a little interesting to me, Nathan, from a two score game to a one score game, like from a perspective, just the perspective of how these teams are viewed. Does that surprise you or does that make, make sense to you? No, I think it makes sense. I mean, Michigan won the game last year and Michigan has 11 and 0. I think there was of the two programs coming into this year, there was less question about whether Ohio State could take a step back in the right direction than there was about whether Michigan could replicate this, especially considering Hassan Haskins is gone, Aiden Hutchinson's gone, David Ajabo's gone, uh, Daxon Hill's gone. Like They lost some significant pieces off of that team last year that were central to the first great team that they had in a long time. So I think part of this was just uh, some recognition by the public and the the books or whatever, and plus Michigan's performance. That's the other thing to remember here. The line changes also because Michigan's performance. Uh, the handicappers recognize that and are going to change their power rankings as the season goes along too. I think that's well said. I think the idea that you were setting a line early in the year on a great team versus a good team, and now you're setting a line on two great teams. I think it is more reflective of Michigan confirming that it's back. And not really like, uh, I don't know, I don't believe in Ohio State. I think that's smart. Smart way to think of it. Okay. 
I do want to talk a little bit about C.J. Stroud off the top. We're going to start, Stephen, with Ohio State offense versus Michigan defense. And this is we're going to use still some tech subscriber information, 614-350-3315, if you want to be a tech subscriber. We're going to use some of their thoughts to guide us through the discussion, discussions on both sides of the ball. This is from Goose in Lakewood. C.J. Stroud is not a Heisman quarterback this year. First off, C.J. is an elite QB. Ohio State is lucky to have him. He's smart, accurate, etc. That being said, he does not take over a game like a Heisman winner should. When you watch other QBs, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, Bryce Young against Texas, they make plays which are the sole reason their team wins the game. Last week versus Maryland, we had to rely on a true freshman running back to take over the game. Yes, some of that was due to Maryland's defense, but in big games this year, C.J. has not dominated the game like a Heisman winner has in the past. He's done the job so far. Ohio State's undefeated. I hope he does win the Heisman. If I was a voter, though, I'd be left asking for more magic. That idea, Stephen, not to have a Heisman conversation, but to have a magic conversation. Do we think C.J. Stroud is capable of magic? in this Michigan game because the Heisman is great, whatever, but this is the game itself, right? You could have a great game Saturday. Maybe Caleb Williams does something, whatever. But the idea that CJ Stroud could have a magical game against Michigan, is that what you are expecting more or less? Or maybe are you expecting more like good, efficient, smart, accurate, maybe not quite magical, but enough for Ohio State to win. What are your expectations for CJ? My expectation is he needs to be magical. And his what that looks like is similar to what Dwayne did in 2018, where it wasn't flashy what Dwayne was doing outside of him pretending that he was a running quarterback for two seconds. It was 20 of 31 for 396 and six touchdowns. It was a Dwayne Haskins way of being flashy, where it was a big-time game with the world watching, and he put the numbers up, and he beat Michigan in the process. I, under, I think... He's not going to do it the way Bryce Young does it. One, because he doesn't have to because Bryce Young's offensive line is garbage, and so Bryce has to do all out of that stuff, or he's going to get eaten alive. And then Caleb Williams, Ohio State has a better team than what USC has, so there was more required of Caleb Williams against UCLA than if you would have had Ohio State versus UCLA. The way Ohio State's kind of set up, plus the way C.J. Stroud plays, I don't know if we're going to get the, oh, he spun off a defensive end, you know, hurdled over another guy and threw a 40-yard pass down the field because the offense doesn't require him to do that. His And we've always said this. His moment is the game itself and just being the C.J. Stroud that he is while winning the game. That's his moment. Nathan, the Dwayne comparison to 2018 in the Michigan game is pretty good. We also have, I think, a C.J. comparison. It's the last home game a year ago. C.J. Stroud against Michigan State, 32 of 35, 432, six scores in a little more than a half. High bar, different opponent. Is he capable of something like that, Nathan, in, in this game Saturday? Well, I think if he does what Dwayne Haskins did, I mean, that's, that's almost 13 yards per attempt. That's a touchdown every five attempts. He had six touchdowns that day with no interceptions. If he does that, I think Ohio State wins this game by maybe a similar score to that. Um, I think they blow Michigan off the field with that. I think the problem is this is a better Michigan defense than Dwayne Haskins faced in 2018. So I don't know if that's quite attainable. But I think the key is not for C.J. Stroud to have a game like he had last year against Michigan where it took him 50 attempts to throw for 400 yards. He's, he, he, there needs to be more efficiency than that. And I think the efficiency has 
leaked a little bit the last couple of weeks for Stroud. I think that um, there have been maybe some other you know underlying reasons for some of that, but I think he needs to come out because again, as Michigan's going to be able to move the ball a little bit. This is also better Michigan offense um, than. Uh, and certainly from a ball control standpoint, better win than Dwayne Haskins had to face in 2018. Obviously, going to have to make the most, make, make more out of every possession uh, because they may just have fewer possessions. They may have fewer cracks at it. Uh, that may be a, a bigger, a more critical thing for the run game in some ways than it is for Stroud. But if the run game isn't there, then more goes on Stroud's shoulders. Do you think Ohio State throws to win in this game? Is the Ohio State passing game what's going to determine this game? Because I would say I think that's what's going to happen. We're going to yes. have a Dallin Hayden conversation in a moment. Um, but from the seven seven zero, there's something inevitable about Michigan and some of the previous elite teams that Urban and Trestle had at Ohio State that Ryan's day and Ohio State don't have that I think contributes to some of the frustration from fans that we keep seeing. It's hard to know exactly what to expect year to year and even game to game from Ohio State, which in some ways is good, but in other ways creates a challenge, I think, even for players. I think about the offensive line issues, that kind of thing. It's time for Day to establish a true identity and let the players execute like Michigan has done and maybe pull out wrinkles for playoff games if needed. From the 770, I think I disagree with that. I don't think we have any illusions about what the identity of Ohio State is right now. And it's okay for your identity to be throwing the ball. Only allow identity to be a run game conversation. Ohio State throws to win. Ask Ohio State if it had an identity against Michigan in 17 and 18 when Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator. Ask if they had an identity throwing the ball on Clemson in the playoff games. Ask if they had an identity against Michigan State last year, Nathan. Like, I don't, I'm confused by this. Like, the idea that Ohio State doesn't know who it is, I think, I think that's wrong. They knew exactly what they were. They got a team that throws the ball to win, needs to run the ball better when they need to, and needed a better defense. So they hired a, they hired a defensive coordinator and have tried all year to run the ball when it matters. But that's because those were ancillary things. They're not ancillary, but certainly secondary to the main thing, which is these guys throw the ball better than anybody in the country. That's what Ryan Day wants to be, and that's what they are. And I think that's how they go about trying to beat Michigan on Saturday, Nathan. Well, more importantly, they were ancillary to them winning some of those individual games. You know, Ryan Day admitted this when we, in a press conference a couple weeks ago, that when those games are in control and out of hand, he'll double down on make, trying to get something going with that run game because they feel like I think they need to prove that to themselves as much as anybody more than they need to prove that they can complete passes to Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka and Julian Fleming and Cade Stover. I, and I, to answer your overall question, yeah. I think this is a game that comes down to Ohio State being able to be what it's supposed to be with the ball in C.J. Stroud's hands and those guys running routes. Uh, because I think Michigan, you know, I think Michigan is going to be able to limit Ohio State sometimes on early downs, um, and it's gonna it, Ohio State's gonna have to be able to convert some third and longs in this game, and it's gonna come down to uh, the reads C.J. Stroud makes, the throws C.J. Stroud makes. Throw to win, Stephen. The Maryland game told us that, yeah, they're going to throw the win. When it was fourth down, what they start doing? Start throwing the ball. And we saw it. We saw them heading in this direction against Penn State. 9.26 left on the clock in the fourth quarter, and you're losing. They started throwing the ball. They stopped throwing the ball because all of a sudden a really good block happened, and Travion ran for a 41-yard touchdown pass. But I don't think that was how that drive was scripted, where we're going to throw it twice, and then Travion's going to run 41 yards. I think they were going to keep throwing they just wanted to balance in with some of the running attacks. So, yeah, 
I would be shocked if CJ throws it less than 30 times in this game. And it's not because they can't run the ball. It's because they're going to use a million different ways to throw it. I think it's throw to win, and I think it's throw to run. Because I don't think it's coincidental that they popped the run up the middle 40 yards for a touchdown after they threw two really nice balls Mm -hmm. to start that drive when it was money time against Penn State. Let's have this this short yardage conversation again. Like we are we are back. We are time is a flat circle. We are back to the beginning. What's your play against Michigan on third and two? From the nine three seven, new texter. So I thought I would send in a warm rant to start. I've agreed with Doug's assessment about the run games being mostly poor in short yardage situations, and I've wanted Coach Day to pass the ball more on those downs. Then this past weekend against Maryland with Dalton Hayden having huge success hitting holes and getting positive yardage on most every play, I was convinced our $9.5 million coach would sense that and call a run play on third and two in the third quarter. Nope. A forced throw to MHJ. Offensive genius. I don't know. We'll see. So, I did go back and check. Five short yardage plays, two yards or, or fewer against Maryland. There was a sixth late third and two, but they got Maryland like jumped off sides and wiped it out. So it was like, oh, what's your third and two play? It's like, I don't know. Got the other guys to jump off sides. Great play. Works every time. The other five, they ran it three times and they made it every time. They had one early third and one first drive. Trivion, six yards. Second half, third and one, Dallin Hayden, 17 yards. Third and one, Dallin Hayden, four yards. Three for three running the ball on third and short. Third or fourth down and short, throwing the ball 0 for 2. Third and 2 in the second half, incomplete pass, blitzer comes free, CJ sees it, throws throws the route at where the blitzer's coming from. Cade Stover's actually open over the middle, but he's looking at Emeka. Emeka has a guy on him, but CJ puts the ball on his hands, and he can't make the catch. It's not exactly a drop, but it literally hit him in the hand. Like, it hit him in one hand, and it kind of was just like a, a thing that it wasn't a completion. I think it kind of made sense all around. I didn't think it was like a terrible play by Ohio State. Also, if you're going to throw on third down, get ready for some blitzers. They went empty there. And that was before Dallin Hayden got going. But after a first half where they had established, this run game is not good. So that was at the low point of the run game in that game. So third and two, they're like, we're not even going to try. We're going to throw. Doesn't work. Then late, what Steven referenced, the fourth and one. They try a throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. Ryan Day talked about that. He said, we like the matchup and like we think we had it. And a guy got free up the middle. Now, the first one, they went empty. So it's like, hey, it's third and two. We're empty. We're definitely throwing it. This one, two tight ends, Dallin Hayden in the backfield. It is not obvious that they are going to throw. But they like the matchup with, Ma- the matchup with Marvin. They do throw. It, I, I didn't see the route in the moment. CJ has a moment. But then the guy gets through. Then he has to spin away. And then he throws it to Marvin. It's a little low, but it goes through Marvin Harrison Jr.'s arms. It like goes through both of his arms and hits him in the chest and falls to the ground as he's diving. Again, it's not like he dropped it, Nathan. But it's not like it was impossible for that to work. So in the end, what are they going to do on third and short or fourth and short conversation? Coming off Maryland, three for three when they ran it. 0 for 2 when they threw it, but I thought both pass plays were reasonable calls that kind of almost worked. And I frankly, like they were better the than the times in the past when they ran it on third and one and just like, oh, nobody got a push, they got tackled. Blit. That didn't work. So what should they do? It does feel like this is kind of a big deal, what they're going to do on, th- on short yardage and are they going to do it successfully? Yeah, I mean, I was looking back through things today and just that 
that series at the start of the second half just smacks you in the face still, right? Third and two, you run to the right with Trevor Henderson, loses two yards. And so just one play that early in a game still, um, and the, 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 the domino effect of it uh, is just still so massive. Um, what are they going to do? Um, I So there are some personnel things that can make a difference here. Um, is Michigan's defensive line going to be compromised a little bit? I think that would change maybe what decision I make there. If like Mike Is Morris Michigan's defensive line going to be compromised? So Mike Morris didn't. What's the deal uh, with that? What are you talking about? Mike Morris didn't play last week. He was, uh, I think, a game time decision for Illinois and didn't play. Now, the MLive guys think he probably will try to play this week, but that's their best edge guy. So, and, and just a, an important piece on the defensive line. If you start going too deep on, on the defensive line and you, you, you start liking your matchups more and more, I think, if you're Ohio State, just to be able to get those two yards. But I don't know what I think they will do as I'm sitting here because there's part of me that agrees with Steven that they started to show a trend that would make you think that they are going to lean to the pass there. But there's also a part of me that wonders if like Ryan Day, I've come around almost full circle on this. Like, have they been, have they been doing it all season? And is he going to be able to not resist the urge to prove it on that stage in that moment that they can run it? For the record, that route on that fourth and one against Maryland Mecca one and Marvin one. The offensive line didn't do its job in protection, and Ryan Day even said that. So it works. The throw. Well, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. Okay. It didn't work. If, if, no, it doesn't work. Yes, if you execute it as I well, sound no, no, like no, Ryan but that's Day. anything. Let's, but let's listen, listen too. you can't say, oh, well, the the, the, yeah, no. the the receivers got open and all that didn't work in yeah, pass protection. That's yeah, that's a primary part of the. It didn't work, it but didn't. also it hasn't worked when they've run it. So so it. I mean, it didn't work. It doesn't mean it can't gonna, work. When this season is over, I'm going to write a book. And the book title is going to be called Third and Short. What will they do? And it's just going to be a list of everything no Ohio State it. did. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure book. It's frustrating. I'm going to remember it. those. <laughs> it drives people crazy. <laughs> just a list of all the third and shorts. But look, I I think they're going to throw it. I just, I'm just at that point now. I think they spent 10 weeks as he said, being stubborn about it and trying to force it to happen. And it hasn't happened at this point. And you're down to your fourth string running back while you have your first string quarterback. And at this point, if, I mean, we don't expect Jackson Smith and Jacob to, put, to play. Your wide receiver one, your wide receiver two. You know who those guys are. So put the game in, in their hands instead of trying to force something else that clearly has not worked. More it did the four, the passing on fourth and one didn't work against Maryland, but the running on third and short and the fourth and short has not worked all year. Just to bring up personal things, Ohio State might also be without its starting right guard, which which might be fine because I do think he, Matt Jones has been compromised at times this year anyway, and trying to play through it and maybe a healthy version of that of a somebody else um, wouldn't be that much different than a compromised guy. I think they'll throw unless in running in other situations, they realize, oh, we can run it because I do think they're going to run it with Dallin Hayden. We're going to talk about Dallin Hayden now. So, you know, if, if they've been kind of throwing the ball more often than not, and it's the first third and two, and they haven't figured out that, oh, wait, we can run it, then they'll throw it. I think they'll throw it. And I think they'll have some things that, again, it's not that they're new plays, but, but, and, and they work out. You know, they, 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 
they have all these different types of plays and they work on third down, they work on red zone, they work on short yardage. So they have all these plays. They're not coming up with new plays for short yardage, but they're just going to have, and they don't have a million in the playbook for a given, like they have a million in the playbook, but you don't take the book to the sideline because you don't work on the book in practice. You work on a pamphlet. You work on a slimmed down version of the book. You know, you're not reading uh, War and Peace. You're reading like of Mice and Men. You got a War and Peace playbook and a Mice and Men plan. That's pretty good. So I do think that like that idea, right? Like it's just a matter of that's a book. What what they decide <laughs> to do. I think they're going to have maybe a few more throws, and actually, I think they might have more options in the short yardage stuff than they often do. It's like usually they they might only take three or four really good short yardage plays into a game and really believe in them, and they might take more this week because I think there's the hey we can run it version of our short yardage packages and our short yardage plan, and there's the hey nope we can't run it version of that where you really have to throw. I think they'll throw early. And if it, if they figure out that the Dallin Hayden version of the run game is working pretty good, um, then I then I think they maybe will go back to that. This is a, a rushing conversation that'll get us into Dallin Hayden. This is from the six one six. This texture has been persistent about this, and I'm glad they had they were. Hearing this stat last year during the broadcast of the game really stuck with me. For the past decade, the team with the most rushing yards has won the game each time. Do you guys think this is going to be true this upcoming Saturday? So I went back in the last decade and I double-checked on this. Last year, Michigan 297 rushing yards, Ohio State 64. Michigan 7.2 yards per carry, Ohio State 2.1. 2019, all these other ones, 2012 through 2019, Ohio State wins. 264 to 91. And Ohio State won the rushing battle every time. 2018, 171 to 161. 2017, 226 to 102. 2016, 206 to 91. 2015, 369 to 57. Angry Ezekiel Elliott. 2014, 233 to 121. 2013, 393 to 152. 2012, 207 to 108. All Ohio State wins. All Ohio State winning the rushing battle. 2011, the previous Ohio State loss, Michigan 277, Michigan, Ohio State 137. A couple things to note. This is crazy to think about. 2013, that's where Tyvis Powell has to intercept the two-point conversion try to win the game. Ohio State outrushes Michigan 393 to 152. Michigan outpasses Ohio State 451 to 133. Think about that, how much the world has changed. Michigan threw for 451. 2015 game. Michigan outpassed Ohio State 307 to 113. But again, Ohio State outrushed Michigan by more than 300 yards in that game. 2018, really not representative. It's basically even. Ohio State had 10 more rushing yards, but Dwayne threw for 396, as Stephen mentioned. So like that idea of like, hey, you run to victory. Ohio State didn't run to victory in 2018. They threw their way to victory. They had 200 more passing yards. This is a reminder in 2019, though. Like this is that version of, of Ryan Day offense that we're just not in this year. In that game, let's see, Ohio State threw it 27 times with Justin for 313 and ran it 50 times for 264. So they had twice as many rushing pay, plays as passing plays. J.K. Dobbins in that game, Nathan, 31 carries, 211 yards. Okay. So it's not like Ryan Day only wants to throw. This is not that. So that is all very interesting, is it not? That's very interesting. And I would say it doesn't matter. I would I would say it does not apply to this game. Do you think it applies to this game, Nathan? I don't think Ohio State has to outrush Michigan to win, no. But I think it has to be efficient with the running game. 
in order to win. It can't get into a situation because of what I said before, where Michigan is probably still going to be able to move the ball, is still going to be able to limit Ohio State's possessions or try to. Ohio State can't keep putting itself behind the sticks by having uh, empty empty reps in the run game, where we've seen that be a problem in other games. What do you think the balance is? Let's let's make a prediction on percent of pass plays versus percent of run plays, like in this game. What do you think? And again, if, if it turns out that somebody has a big lead and that means you shut it down and then you just run it a bunch late, we'll take that out. When the game's competitive, what do you think the breakdown is, Stephen, of how often Ohio State throws it? 50-50? Is it 40-60 is it rushing? Is it 60-40 passing? What do you think? I'd go as far as, say, 65 to 35 passing just because I understand those numbers are valuable. The the team who wins the rushing yards wins the game, but those are also not including the fact that both of these teams have just gotten sophisticated passing attacks over the past five years, especially Ohio State. So that changes the variable a little bit. If you had C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, and Dwayne Haskins in 2010 – do they still win the rushing battle or do they just throw it with those guys? So I, I think they're just going to throw it and they're going to run it when they need to run it. And it needs, and they're hoping that it's effective in those moments when they need it to be effective. Yeah. Those numbers you read off earlier, Doug, it was like what 27 attempts for fields and 31 rushes for Dobbins. So that's actually more of what the split was. You know what I'm saying? Because then overall the, the split gets skewed because Ohio state won that game going away and could, could salt away the game in the second half on the ground. And some of those runs were fields too, though. I don't remember off the top of my head, how many I'm thinking more like a 55, 45 split uh, towards the pass, um, which maybe doesn't sound like a lot at, at first glance, but that that's, that's, I mean, a 10% gap is pretty significant, especially for Ohio state. I'm just talking about the, the time where the game would still be in the balance. Um, that might change. It might skew back towards the run if they're winning and, and are need to just, you know, eat away clock late. But during the part of the game that decides the game, I'm, that's roughly what I'm thinking. But that includes also what Ohio State likes to do in the passing game to replicate the run game, extend the run game. So I do think, right, if they run 70 plays, 60% 42 passes, 28 runs, I, I think that's mm-hmm. about where I am. But like that feels, yeah. that feels pretty pass-heavy, you know? I mean, like, I don't, I don't know that anybody's saying, as much as I'm like, ah, hey, give them up the run, it's like, it's not like nobody was going to say, like, throw it 60 times and run it 10 Right, like forty-two twenty in a game like this would be pretty significant, and that's sixty forty. So that's about where I land. I just got to read this text real quick because it's so funny to me. From the nine one nine. First off, I wanted to say seven podcasts a week. You guys are some dogs, and I love and thank all of you for your content. Listening to you has inspired my friends and I to try and start our own podcast. And trying to get these guys together for once a week is ridiculously harder than it should be. So thank you for that. My rant for this week is Doug. I hope you saw how ridiculous your take is, and it's just like. I love like three sentences of praise <laughs> and then let me get to the heart of the matter, which is Doug, you idiot. Ridiculous to take is that Ohio State should never run it on third downs when you saw how ridiculous and demoralizing it was when they didn't convert the third and two, I believe, versus Maryland through the air. At some point, you have to man up and just run the ball and get it. Again, like completely disagree. It's yeah. demoralizing to not make it. It is not more demoralizing. I actually think it's more demoralizing to run it and not make it on third or fourth and short than it is to throw it. So the idea of like, oh, I hope you see how demoralizing the failed pass is. What about the failed runs before that? Like, what's like, that's the thing. Like, it's demoralizing to have to punt when you only have to get a yard or two to not have to punt. Like, like, man up, honestly, if this becomes a man up game, you're not going to win it. Don't play a man up game. 
Like that is not, it is not a man up game. It is an execute game. It is a do what you do best game. It is a lean into your strengths game. And it's not a man up game. Cause you know what's manly? A guy winning his route and five or six or seven guys pass protecting and a quarterback making his read and executing that play. Sometimes you have to man up and, and get a seven yard pass on third and two. So like, good luck to your yeah. friends and your podcast. Don't don't come in here with three sentences of praise and tell me my take is ridiculous because they they had one play that went incomplete when all year they've been running into a wall on third down. Oh, we got to run into the wall again. Put on a helmet and ram your head against the wall. That'll make you a man. So that's not what this. If that cannot be what Saturday is about, I just reject the notion that the only way to prove your manhood is like three yards in a cloud of dust. Too like how about make Michigan man up and defend Marvin Harrison Jr. Like that's a that's a man's job right yeah. now, guys. Like that's what like a, yeah, you have but, to be a grown man to defend Marvin Harrison Jr. Now make that be where the manhood is proven in this game, or execute on offense and force JJ McCarthy to have to throw the ball. Why is it that we have reached this point where it feels like we need to beat Michigan the way that they beat us? No, you just make Michigan try to beat you the way you play, so that way yeah. you win the game. That's sports. Make somebody play a way that they don't want to play, and typically you win the football game or the basketball game or whatever the game is. I think that's essential right, to this do- discussion. That it's it's not about it's not about Ohio State throwing the ball to like run away from the game Michigan would rather than play. It's about you dictate the terms of the game. Yes. All right, let's have the Dallin Hayden discussion, but I this was a really smart text, and I wanted to get it in here to lay the foundation for a Dallin Hayden discussion from the 419. Recent subscriber, first-time texter. Being a former collegiate athlete myself, track and football, not field. Not football. Track and field, not football. I can say from personal experience that injuries can sometimes affect performance mentally more than physically. It isn't Travion or Mayan's vision that has suffered, but rather the effect of their injuries on their subconscious ability to push their bodies as far as they can go. Contrast this to Dallas, who on paper should be Dave's third choice, all things being equal, yet was a breath of fresh air this past week because he was free of those mental limitations. Not saying that they aren't physically limited, but the on for a week off for a week pattern indicates to me that it's a mental game that only feeling truly healthy can fix. This may be obvious, but has been downplayed by the coaching staff. Day's self-awareness the last few weeks, play calling toughness, now Dallin's play, has given me confidence this week. Go Bucks from the 419. You guys are nodding along with that. I think we have touched on those ideas, right? Yep. We know they've both been battling things on and off all year, and certainly, and it's lower body stuff. It's mm-hmm. foot stuff which absolutely affects your confidence and your ability to put your foot in the ground and make a hard inside cut. So we want to lay this foundation because this is not really a conversation about like, well, well, those guys aren't getting it done, put in the freshman. But Stephen, it's just a reality of there are circumstances at play here, but here we are. So we understand the circumstances, but you have to play the guy who gives you the best chance. Yeah. I mean, Trayvon Henderson was in a boot. And then he's trying to play football and you're trying to plant your foot and then make a cut. You can't do it. And then at the end of the game, he's back in the boot because he probably should have never been out the boot in the first place. I do I do think there is something to that. Has Travion Henderson missed holes at times during his career at Ohio State? Sure. But also, pretty much since the Penn State game 2021, it's never felt like he's been completely healthy at any point. There's always some type of nick and bruise. And the same thing with Mayan Williams, because in 2021, he had his fair share of injuries as well, and he's been in and out the lineup this year as well. Dallin Hayden is fresh, as fresh as can be, because 
at one point he was the fourth option, which means he was also fourth in getting reps in fall camp. So he is as fresh as you can be as a running back at this point. So he can be the best version of himself. I think that's part of this discussion. It's it's not so much who's the best running back. It's who has who is in the best position to be the best version of himself against Michigan in a Big Ten championship game in a playoff game. And just because of injuries, Dallin Hayden is in the best position to do that. And the best version of himself just so happens to be exactly what Ohio State needs because he does make those cuts and he does keep this offense on schedule. For the record, Ryan Day was asked about that Trevon Henderson decision after the game last Saturday and said that he'd had a good week of practice, wasn't reporting pain, but that these things are unpredictable sometimes. And like you get into a game and the dynamic changes somewhat. So uh, I think that it's also, if I'm a coach and I'm trying to go win championships and I've seen what Trevion Henderson can do, there's a point at which maybe it just hasn't been proven in practice. Like you're thinking, well, like 85% of Trevion, maybe that's still, our best shot to do this. But then you find out as that game goes along, you're not even getting 85%. And on top of that, I don't think that applies anymore because we've seen what Dallin Hayden can do. And again, I agree with you, Doug. Let's not talk about Dallin Hayden like he's, you know, rushing for 2000 yards in the NFL yet. Let's, let's, let's keep it in context of what he's doing, but what he's doing is exactly what Ohio state needs the running game to do, which is just hit the hole and stay on track. All right, so let's have this Dallin Hayden conversation. From the 513, Ryan Day needs to trust Dallin Hayden and allow him to be the lead back. It is clear neither of the other two are healthy, and at this point, Dallin is the single best option. If Maya can play, great. Let him have the role of a changeup back, and you will have one heck of a one-two punch. However, trying to get injured backs to carry the lead role, in my opinion, has hurt this team from the Iowa game on. The game is too important to be trying to put it on the shoulders of injured players. So that's well said, just similar to what we just talked about. Tyler from the 269, watching Dallin Hayden run last week, gave me a glimpse of what Ohio State has been missing on offense for much of the year, hitting holes fast and finishing runs hard. He runs with a purpose and he runs with an attitude. I keep having a vision of him busting a long run for a touchdown this weekend and me throwing my beer across my living room with pure excitement. Somewhat the way Beanie Wells did as a freshman, but with Hayden also just dominating the whole game. I feel like him rushing for 200 yards this weekend is a possibility. People are fired up. Dallin Sealing from the eight six from the eight five nine. Is Dallin Hayden the next Archie Griffin? True freshman okay. becomes the leading rusher and wins the Heisman. <laughs> so okay, okay, pull it back. We're pulling back. We're backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Okay, backpedal. And then this one's a little bit on the other side from the four one nine. I don't think Hayden is better than the other two running backs at all. But they make bland play calls for him just to pick up a few yards instead of home runs, and he adds on an extra couple yards. All Ohio State needs to get on schedule is to run up the gut for at least a few yards and let the passing game build off of that. They seem to stretch everything to the outside for the other two, and they press and put the offensive line in bad situations. Hopefully the coaching staff sees that as well and just going forward. That's Travis. So, like, I don't actually think that's true either. I don't think they're giving Dallin Hayden basic plays and giving the other guys complicated home run plays, but I think... The result is that sometimes the way they have run, it makes it look that way. And I actually don't think Dallin Hayden's going to break a big run because when Dallin Hayden gets through a hole, he's like, let me put three arms on this football and make sure I don't fumble. And like, he's not even trying to hit a home run, right? Mm -hmm. If he hit a ball off the top of the wall and somebody else might try for an inside the park home run, he's like, I'll stop at second. This is good. Like I'm at second because I'm not going to get thrown out if I stay at second. And I think that's what they want of him. I do think there is part of this, Nathan, where it is the two things in concert with each other. But I think in the end, the idea of you, what we see 
it's not really them asking that much different. It's just, I think, a different result. And I think in the end, let's. this is the conversation I want to have about Dallin Hayden. Let's give him 30 running back carries in this game, Ohio State. We talked about this like right after the game, but now we're down to numbers. Okay. And it's not an if, it's not a well, who's healthy. It's what you are predicting. And so people know we are recording this a little bit early. We're not making anybody record on Thanksgiving. This is Wednesday afternoon. What we think right now, I'm giving you 30 running back carries for the game. What's the breakdown? And I will lay mine out there first. This is both like what I think should happen and it is my prediction. I'll say Dallin Hayden, 18, Mayan Williams, 12. Trayvon Henderson, zero. That is where I would be right now with my 30. Who wants to go next with their 30 carry breakdown? Um, 22, Dallin, eight, Mayan. And it's not because I don't think Mayan is good, good enough to get more. I think he deserves what you guys are putting on the table. I just... I'm very wary of this playing out how it played out last week where Mayan starts, they try to get him going, and then he tweaks something. And then we're all going, well, why didn't you just start Dallin in the first place and not even play this game? Which is why the Trey zero is because I don't think Trey is going to play. So I I think they get to Dallin earlier if it in any way looks like Mine's not there. It's not working today. He's, 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 whatever, whether it's the knee or the hand or whatever else might pop up with these running backs, who knows? I just think they get quicker to Dallin if it feels like mine is not there. So it might, I'm saying mine has eight, but he might have six in the first like two drives. I think that's well said, right? Because we yeah. saw that you end up leaning yeah. on the healthiest guy down the stretch. Nathan, what do you think? It's so tricky because if you think Mayan Williams is going to play, I think I would probably expect him to start also. But then to like expect him to yep. not be able to finish the game is a tricky thing, man. I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go more like what Doug said. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go 17. Hayden, 12. Williams, one. Xavier Johnson. You're annoying. No, that's good. No, that's good. <laughs> Xavier Johnson is everything. If I knew By we were way, gonna do that, can we count the, the jet sweeps then and get a no, no, no. Ball? I said running. No, back. lining up in the backfield. Back. This is, <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. By the way, ask Xavier Johnson. I, it's like I'm asking Xavier Johnson a question, and Stephen is laughing as oh, yeah. I'm asking the question. And then Stephen's like taking the podcast to the interviews, and because <laughs> I did, we were talking about his. I asked Xavier Johnson if he wears number ten because he's X. And he was like, it's Michigan week, you fool. Why are you asking me this? No, he didn't actually say that. But he was like, yeah, I switched to 10 this year. That actually was in my head. I did think about it. And I was like, someone in your family has an X instead of a 10 on their jersey. He's like, yeah, that's my mom. And I was like, that's like the coolest jersey ever. So, yes, he did admit that is part of the reason that he is number 10 now. Because he is Xavier. That's an X. That's a Roman numeral. So just for confirmation, we assumed. And again, it's a cool jersey. But again, taking the podcast to the streets. We like to do that sometimes. All right. Last part of what anything else you guys want to add. Michigan defense versus Ohio State offense. I do think the Michigan corners are good. And I, I've said all of this on my, my breakdown earlier in the week. I think Ohio State can work it out in the past game, similar to what they did against Penn State. And I just think the Michigan pass rush is really not similar to what it was a year ago. Nathan, where are you? What else do you want to say about Ohio State offense versus Michigan defense? I think we've covered a lot of it. Again, I think you're right that the pass pro is not as urgent of an issue. I I think, again, to me, it just comes down to uh, this defense 
needs to be able to get the ball back to Ohio State's offense as often as possible. I know that that sounds so simple, but that's it's just so much harder in a game like this with the style of offense that Michigan runs and how well they do it. So as far as what the offense has to the offense can't have the, what we've talked about so many times, those where you'd go those long stretches where, you know, uh, running backs would be like three, one, two, zero, one, zero. Um, it's there's got to be something. There's got to be more forward progress than that consistently. Just keep keep things moving and and get the flow going. That is what this passing game thrives on. I think if I wanted to add anything else to that. Nathan said this, this defense has got to get the ball back to the offense as much as possible. I agree with that. But also the offense needs to like get out of its own way because that's what happened against Maryland. Quality first drive, you know, deep ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. Run, another pass, run, uh, screen pass to Trayvon Henderson, 31-yard touchdown. And we're all thinking, okay, well, that's going to be the day. We're gonna, let's pack it up and go home. And then penalty, penalty, bad run, penalty, Weird drive, punt, weird drive, punt. Let's not have any of these stagnant drives where the first thing that happens when you take the field is a false start or, you know, a holding or something where now it's all of a sudden you look up and it's second and 17 because you're, because pre-snap stuff is throwing your entire plan off. I think that's well said. You're playing an opponent that's going to be able to stifle you from time to time. Don't help them. Yes. And I do think last year, right, false starts were an issue last year. I think that's just more problematic mm-hmm. on the road than it is at home. And they had a goofy, a couple goofy delays of game last week. I think when you have a goofy thing like that step up, I think you fix it. So I would imagine they are really working on getting the play in, making sure CJ is not taking too much time trying to de- – I, I am sure Ryan Day and CJ Stroud had an overthinking conversation this week about let's make sure we get our plays off. So I do think like those two kind of things where it has bit them at times, I think it's less likely it bites them in those two areas this week. All right, when we take a break, when we come back, we're going to do surprise players for the game before we get into the Ohio State defense versus the Michigan offense next on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Doug, Nathan, and Steven, 614-350-3315. You're hearing this on Friday morning, and you're like, ah, man, like the game's tomorrow. You can just, even if you don't want to think like, ah, two weeks, I don't want these guys blowing up my phone for two weeks. Like, let us blow up your phone, like during the game. And if you get sick of us, like during the game, type stop during the game and, and be done with us. But you can get like the pregame info. What the, if you're not at the game and it's not on TV yet? I know Big Noon's going to be there and the Fox and uh, Game Day's going to be there, right? They'll be doing stuff, but they're all doing like scripted stuff, you know, whatever. We're like telling you, like, what's up? No script. Buckeye talk. That's real. No script. Just join. Six one. You send a text to 614-350-3315. And then if by the middle of the first quarter, you're like, I hate Doug even more than when he's talking. The only thing worse than Doug talking is Doug texting. Type stop and you're done. From the 513, I think there are two players that will play a huge role in a Buckeye win Saturday. On defense, Josh Proctor. I think they will go with an extra safety instead of a linebacker. He will cause a fumble that will lead to a touchdown at a crucial time. On offense, it will be G. Scott. 
He will make some big blocks in the first half to spring some runs and then get two touchdowns in the second half. If the Buckeyes keep their emotions in check, I think it will be a big day for OSU. Scott in the 5-1-3. I love the specificity of putting it out there. Because the thing about that is, if you're wrong, everybody forgets. And if you're right, my God, we're going to have you on the podcast. If G. Scott has two touchdown catches, my God, Scott in the 5-1-3 is a genius. Let's do surprise players. Nathan, you got a surprise player that could rise up for Ohio State. If G. Scott has two touchdown catches in the second half, I think he needs to change from being Scott in the 5-1-3 to Scott in the whatever Las Vegas' area code is. Uh, so a lot of the candidates of this have kind of been absorbed recently. Like you can't really say Dallin Hayden's not a surprise player anymore. And Ty Hamilton's not a surprise player anymore. Like some guys have elevated here the last couple weeks, but a guy that I think has been hanging out there as a potential impact guy who just, the only reason he isn't maybe having a bigger impact now is there's no place to put him consistently, but maybe something happens and he's getting enough special teams run that maybe that's where it happens. Chris Olave style. I'm going to say Caden Curry. Oh, that was loud. Oh, that was very angry. Oh, look at that. Steven, you thought you had it with Caden Curry, and here comes Bears. Yeah, man. I was coming with the freshman impact thing, and Nathan swooped in. Congrats. So I'll let you have the floor then, because I love this. Well, just bit. we've seen. Listen, He's we, so mad. Yeah, I don't know how many like actual pass rush situations he'll get. He's shown some flash there, but it's been in uh, in a very Tyleek Williams way. It's been kind of late-game situations for the most part, and uh, the, the, not saying it doesn't matter. True freshman, good things to see, but I don't know how much he actually plays on defense, but if they needed him to, I think he could hang. He's sort of shown he can probably hang to some extent, and he is consistently playing on a lot of special teams, um, what did I say, units, and I just think that there's going to be, he'll have chances. He'll have chances to make his presence known in this game. My point with him was going to be special teams. Lathan Ransom has blocked a punt two weeks in a row. So I'm pretty sure Michigan is going to be on alert for where Lathan Ransom is. And I'm pretty sure Ohio State's going to be on alert for the fact that Michigan's probably planning for Lathan Ransom, which frees up somebody else to make a play on special teams. Insert Caden Curry, who... As a defensive end, he's on multiple special teams units doing stuff that defensive ends shouldn't be doing, which um, future Jack, I'm just going to throw that out there. He was repping at it in the spring. So that was my, I'll go with another one then since he stole that one. We have harped on how good the safeties have played. We've harped on how good the linebackers played. We've harped on how good the defensive line has played. Meanwhile, we've been talking about why aren't the corners playing better. And in the name of Ohio State makes Michigan throw. I think this is a day where the combination of JJ McCarthy not really proving himself as mm. a vertical passing threat mixed with, hey, the corners got action. He shouldn't be an under the radar guy, but I think he is at this point just because of the injuries and how he's played this year. I think Denzel Burke has this moment. And I think he gets a like I'm on alert for a Denzel Burke pick six. And again for Denzel who who didn't personally have a great game last year. Yeah. That this would be there's a team motivation mm-hmm. and a personal motivation. And this guy has personal motivation from the whole year. Yeah. I mean, he, again, he saved Ohio State last year. If you think mm-hmm. two losses was rough, think about where they might have been if Denzel Burke wasn't ready to do what he did and be a number one corner as a true freshman. You might have been talking more problems. Saved Ohio State last year and has not had the season he's wanted to have. So this is this would be a great opportunity for that. I think that's a really good pick. I don't care about if people steal my thing, because I think G. Scott from the texture is a really interesting one. This guy only has four catches this year, but he like if you think about the guys, I think there was one on the on the uh, QA rapid fire pod that we did previously. Like what would Ryan Day be saving? When you think about 
They threw it to Travion last week. I'm, I'm on alert for like maybe throwing it to the backs a little bit more. But like G Scott's kind of like the only guy who plays who they really haven't thrown to. And like, what would that look like? So if you, you know, you send a couple guys out route, again, you go 12 personnel, you go a little bit heavier. feels like I, I thought he had been playing more lately because it feels like he's more involved like early in the year when they went 12 and put in the second tight end. It felt like to me it was Mitch Rossi a lot. It feels like it's yeah. G a little bit more, but like the stats don't bear that out from PFF. Is this right? He only played three snaps last week? Probably. He's Offensively? The, he's the third tight end. And as these receivers have gotten better, they've gone to that jumbo package. 13 personnel look less and less. So snaps by game, G. Scott this year offensively. 3, 16, 23, 14, 17, 18. 10, 1, 14, 17, 3. So it's been up and down, but I could just see... There's G Scott down the seam for 26 yards at a crucial time because like that has not happened. Mm. He has four catches for 12 yards. That has not happened. And I think he's capable of that. So is it like, does that mean you were saving him the whole year or does that mean it evolved to this? Does that mean you're so established with your receivers? That's what opens up. Um, I don't know, Nathan, it's just something like I could imagine like, Oh, G Scott had two catches for 39 yards and they were critical on, on big drives. I mean, there are a few things in not just football, but the world more beautiful than like a throwback screen to a tight end that goes for a long gain. Like he seems like a guy who could do something in space if you gave him that opportunity. So I I hear it. And I would also, before to go back to the third and two question, I think the ultimate answer there might be sort of what started to happen in that one play that you were mentioning at Maryland, where they came out with double tight, looked like they were probably going to try to power run it again and then passed out of that. So that may be his opportunity to make a big play too, is when they line up in something that is disguised as a run that they turn into a pass. All right. One of the things, again, this is the part where we're breaking down Ohio State defense versus Michigan offense. We've talked a lot about, like, again, Jim Knowles has brought in a new scheme. They're coaching guys up, but dudes, right? Again, when you, do they have dudes on defense to make, make plays a year ago in the Michigan game? From the 614, who's the dude on Ohio State's defense this year? It could be three, four, or five guys. Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, AJ, JT Tuimolowau, Zach Harrison, Lathan Ransom, maybe the defensive tackles. They're all players, unlike last year where there was maybe one. The dudeness of this defense, Nathan, we'll get into Jim Knowles in a second. The dudeness of this defense, what kind of level above the dudeness a year ago are we talking about comparing the mission game to the mission game? Oh, man. Well, I mean, if last year, I mean, are we on like a one to 10 scale? What is the scale? <laughs> Is that A to F? What's the yeah, dude's scale? Yeah, just the dude scale. The typical the, the dude scale. I mean, the, the dude scale that everybody uses. What are you talking about? Just the dude scale. No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, like, okay, like, yeah. If last year, yeah, one to 10, what were they last year when it comes to defensive dudes? One bad, 10 good. And this year, what are they when it comes to defensive dudes? I mean, last year, they were probably a four at best, right? There were more dudes that you worried weren't making plays than you were worried were going to win you a game. Um I have four at best, maybe less. And then this year, I think they're like, I mean, they pro- I don't know, eight. You've got, you know, an All-American fringe candidate at linebacker. You've got the guys up front doing what they are doing and kind of just passing the torch week after week. I know cornerback is still a question mark, and I think it's a legitimate question mark. But you have ultimate confidence in what's happening at safety right now compared to what you had last year. So I think it's like a, it's like they've doubled their dudes. Yeah, I, I I think I might have given last year like a two, and I give this year like a seven. What's your dude your dude factor, Stephen? Yeah, I'm giving last year a one. 
because even when there were more, there were little moments, but they were never consistent enough that I'm going to call you a dude. I'd say seven and a half because I think they've got some dudes this year, but they don't have like the Chase Young dude where it's every single game he's the problem. They have guys who are maybe headed in that direction. And I think next year they might be at a 10, but right now, seven and a half. So I said this to Zach Harrison in interviews. It's like, I do think like that's a guy that, you know, has always been good. I think he's like, I think he's a, at a pretty high dude level, right? I mean, he got the strip sack mm-hmm. at the end to like finish off the Maryland game a week ago. I mean, he's really good against the run. I think he's really important in this run game, right? I mean, a lot of times when Michigan's trying to pop something outside, they just let that tackle beat the beat the guy on the edge and like, you know, seal something off. Uh, it's hard to seal off Zach Harrison. You know, I think Zach Harrison is plays huge in this game. And I actually do think when you think about the two defensive ends that they start, right, as much as it's the Boses and Chase Young and you get off the quarterback after the quarterback the same way, I think Zach Harrison and JT Tuimolowau are like two pretty good edge guys against the run. And then you throw in mm. two defensive tackles that you can put out there in Hamilton and Vincent who are run first stoppers, right? And then when it gets to third and long or something like that, maybe my call comes in. Now here comes Jack Sawyer. I talked on, on one of the other pods a lot about like the Jack Sawyer wrinkle with the Jack and that kind of thing. That really matters. I do feel like this defensive line, we've, we end up talking a lot about sacks with a defensive line because that's what you do. I think this is a, I think this is a defensive line that you would want to take into a game where you've got to stop the run, right? I think that I think as good as Michigan's offensive line is, maybe the best center in the country. Really good left tackle, like veteran dudes. They believe in all five guys they put out there. And they have had a couple guys in and out with injuries. I think they believe in all five guys. I I think this is a defensive line that you would have faith in, right? Is that, is that, is that where we mm-hmm. are? But Okay, this is a great rushing team, but all right. Ohio State will put out four guys, and Larry Johnson will take his chances. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And and, and I think that, you know, where when we talked about a lack of star power on this defense last year, let's face it, we were asking for it up front, probably first and foremost in a lot of ways. I think that, and especially in a matchup like this, you needed to have disruptive um, uh, people, you know, imposing their authority up front. And now you're getting that. I don't think you, you go into any game right now thinking that somebody on that offensive line isn't going to have a potentially great game. We've had multiple ones from Zach Harrison. We, you know, obviously what JT Tuamiloau did. Um, you're starting to see more from the tackles. My call is still maybe, you know, in some ways, that's the other guy who's kind of out of sight, out of mind recently. Like, have they been limiting Mike Hall each week because he had to be limited those weeks or to get more out of him against Michigan where he could really be a huge impact on Saturday? I, this, this game might be won by this defensive line. I think I'm not nervous that they don't have a guy who can make a play when it's time to make a play. Zach Harrison has spent a lot of games now proving that when it's time to go make a play, I'm going to make it. The strip sack against Maryland proves that you just mentioned what JT did, but it's not the fact that he had all those numbers. It's that he had them at moments when Ohio State probably needed to have something like that happen. Even the two picks as ridiculous as they were, the offense was being kind of wanky and he quickly gave the ball back to the offense. He sealed the game at the end with that pick six. Uh, Jack Sawyer has had some moments against Indiana. Now, can we see him do it against a like-minded opponent is the next question for him. We saw Mike Hall early on. Tommy Eichenberg has made open field tackles and steel chambers the same all season. Lathan Ransom. There's guys when it's second and six and it feels like a team is getting ready to start rolling. 
they're making plays then just as much as they're making a play when it's third and 12 and it's pretty pretty easy to just you know pull your hair back and go get after the quarterback. All right, the Jim Knowles side of this, he was brought here to win this game. From the 7-2-7, does Knowles' Big 12 defense stand a chance in November against a real Big 10 team that can run? So we talked, Nathan, about that a lot early in the season, that Jim Knowles was saying, like, yeah, the Big 12, they'd run 12 personnel with two tight ends, but it was kind of fake. It wasn't a real 12 personnel. We talked about that in context of Notre Dame and Wisconsin early on. Michigan will put three tight ends on the field. They line them all up on the same side. They'll run three guys there. They'll run out of it. They'll throw out of it. You've got to be ready for that. They love to throw to the tight ends. They love to throw to the running backs. I do think the idea that I thought Ohio State – Pretty much handled its business against Braylon Allen, the Wisconsin back, early mm-hmm. in the year. They absolutely handled their business against Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end, early in the year. You know, again, like if you're trying to beat this Ohio State defense, as much as like I think Denzel Burke is a good pick for this game, you know, I would rather try to beat Ohio State. I'd, you know, I think Ohio State, frankly, probably is more would be more scared of USC's offense, Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and guys like that, than a run heavy team. Because I don't think, Nathan, there was a time, right? Jim Knowles had to design this defense, you know, to to beat teams chucking around the Big 12. But he also said, like, this jack position that he created is is really to battle run games. So I, I don't think any idea of, like, ah, Knowles, he's from the Big 12. Has he seen a rushing attack like this? I, I, I think he'll be ready. What do you think about Jim Knowles in this game? Yeah, I mean, our guy Lance that did a great um... – film breakdown on what Michigan's offense does well and what Ohio State's going to need to do to counter it. If you can find that um, out there on, it's not probably at the top of our side anymore, but it, it's out there and is informative. And a lot of what Michigan does, the, it's a very, it's a very smart offensive line. It is a very uh, high executing offensive line. I don't know how many of these guys are necessarily first round draft picks. That center is really good. I don't know if it's if they've got five of them, but they they won the you know the trophy for the best offensive the Joe Moore Award uh, for the best offensive line in the country last year, and they're contending for it again this year, and it's with good reason. And they do a lot of things that is just like you're saying, it's attacking in numbers. And Ohio State's going to have to, I think, be disciplined and be ready for that. But I think you you've alluded to the importance of the jack in this and if that's something you can throw that off because the whole point is if you're expecting to be attacking a play you're running a play and blocking it to attack these numbers in this zone of the field and Ohio State can just move a guy over right before the snap and change the math of all of that I'm really intrigued by that and if that's something that allows them to attack off the backside if it allows Ohio State to then have the numbers to blow things up I'm, you know, Knowles has been really hinting for a couple of weeks that that Jack position, something more could be on uh, the on the table for that very soon, and uh, this could be the week to un- unleash it. However, he did it previously with other guys. Michigan, I think, will to some extent be prepared for some of what Ohio State could do, even if it's something they haven't necessarily shown this year, because he probably showed it at at Duke or Oklahoma State previously and they're 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 breaking that stuff down too the one thing that someone brought up that i don't i don't think necessarily applies here but i'm curious about some other wrinkles here from the 917 it's rich in new york any chance we see four defensive linemen plus jack sawyer in the jack role basically a third linebacker but closer to the line of scrimmage are we going to see the standard 425 from Knowles? i do think i wouldn't expect four defensive linemen plus sawyer but i do think and i think we've seen this at times 
I think the other three defensive linemen, some chunk of the time could include both JT two and Maloa and Zach Harrison. Mm-hmm. And that like, you're asking those defensive ends to sort of play like tackles to some degree. And then you have one inside guy and Sawyer's roaming there. And that's not necessarily a pass rush look again, because I think they have guys who really are run stoppers. I think there will be some wrinkles. Do we think they'll play three linebackers? I, was just about to I, say. I do yep. think maybe this is, this is not a huge Tanner McAllister game. Does that mean that we're going to see more of Cody Simon, Nathan, you kind of see me, maybe think you expect that. Well, we've just, we've seen it now a handful of times in recent weeks that they'll make that swap. And it's sometimes it's a, a personnel based decision. Sometimes I think it's a game flow and down and distance decision, but yeah, I would definitely expect there to be three linebackers on the field, at least some of the time. I think we might see it more in this game than other games. Cause I don't know if, I don't think Michigan slot receiver is that much of a threat in a way that you'd be sacrificing coverage responsibilities by going with a 4-3 look instead of the basic 4-2-5 look the same well, way. Well, there's just going to be a decent amount of time, too, when they won't have three receivers on the field. That they're gonna yeah, that, 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 that too, as right. well. Yeah. No, I mean, like, you know, we know Michigan offensively. Ronnie Bell, right? He'll work out of the slot sometime. He's their best mm-hmm. dude. Roman Wilson's pretty good. Cornelius Johnson, he's kind of their bigger guy. He's a little bit more of the downfield threat. But they really just do. They've had some tight end injuries. Their best tight ends out for the year, but they've had some other guys step up, young guys step up, uh, and they'll throw it to the backs. Donovan Edwards, really dangerous. Um, what else haven't we covered? One of the things, guys, that I talked about is, again, we, we've talked about it, I think, in various forms. I'm curious, like, how much they spy McCarthy. I, I think that could be a Steel Chambers job of, like, don't let this guy run. Mm-hmm. Um, what else, Stephen, didn't we cover when we're talking about Michigan offense versus Ohio State defense that you think is important? I think from an Ohio State perspective, Knowles didn't get asked about this this week because he only got like five questions. But how do the corners play the wide receivers when Michigan does throw? Because they have been playing a lot of off coverage the last couple of weeks. Is this a game where we see these corners maybe get a little bit more aggressive and play a little bit more press man because they're trying to get after McCarthy a little bit? Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I think the more aggressive thing with McCarthy might be you play off coverage and then break on the ball and you have a chance to pick this guy off. I think you might even want to bait him into some throws and see some stuff that's not there. Um, Nathan, again, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. Anything else that's popping in your head? No, just along those same lines. Just I think early downs, I mean, such a basic football thing, but success against this run game on early downs and then putting this game in J.J. McCarthy's throws is something Ohio State desperately, I think, wants to do. Make him prove that he can beat you that way. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that's mm-hmm. right. Make sure he can't escape with the run game. Obviously, we just, as we're recording this, we don't know about Blake Corum. It's potentially like a huge part of this game. It just feels like watching the injury that it's going to be difficult for him to be 100%. And again, I've been saying all week, my assumption is he plays, but he's not quite himself. I do feel like, Nathan, that could have a somewhat substantial effect on how this game goes. No, I think it's huge. Uh, you know, imagine if right now we were talking about whether Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to play or not play. I know maybe the easy assumption is be like, oh, you mean like Jackson Smith and Jigba not playing? But let's talk about the two teams that have actually been on the field this year. I think that's maybe the more analogous thing, that your go-to guy on offense, the most consistent guy, the one that other teams have to legitimately, like, for lack of a better term, fear. What if he isn't going to play or is only at, like, 50, 60%. Like it would change what we think of this Ohio State offense, I think, significantly. And I think it's even more so for Michigan just because it's so critical to their identity. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we literally just had a conversation about with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams and how they've been compromised by injuries. And that's the secondary part of Ohio State's offense. Now we're moving it into the primary position where Blake Corum gets the ball a lot. So if you're giving him the ball 25 times and he's, I don't know, 65% of who he's supposed to be, how much of an impact does that have, especially as he starts to wear down throughout the game if he does play? Now, if you take that variable out, while also Donovan Edwards has been dealing with his own set of injuries, you're putting a lot on J.J. McCarthy's plate that I'm not all the way sure he's ready to handle yet. All right, let's get a little bit more on the Michigan side of things. Aaron McMahon from MLive.com, beat writer up there. He's coming up right now on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined by Aaron McMahon, longtime beat writer of the Michigan Wolverines at MLive.com. As you guys listen to this, uh, I'm sure you're interested in Michigan football, and MLive.com is the place to get it. So that applies to this week, that applies to this game, that applies to every week of the year. MLive.com slash Wolverines. And if you care about Michigan State, they cover them too. MLive.com slash Spartans. But Aaron's been doing it for a long time. Um, Aaron, how would you describe on the Michigan side of things, like the anticipation for this game with, you know, Michigan coming off a win, it's two, three again, just what's the vibe in Ann Arbor? Yeah. Excitement. I mean, a- after the way things went down last year and the way they won and the fact that they did win and they are 11 and 0, um, I-, I think they're, the fan base is excited. They're elated to be here. I, I think ex- preseason expectations, if you would ask most Michigan fans, I think they would have told that they didn't, they wouldn't have expected 11 and 0. Given the fact all the pieces they had, they lost on defense. Some of the questions on offense. Um, I, I think they're happy to be here. I, I you know, you know, the game obviously still needs to be played out, but from a preseason expectations, I think Michigan has exceeded um, everything that I think folks uh, wanted. Yeah, I think that is an interesting contrast here. I mean, that, it's not national title or bust for Ohio State this year, but clearly with you know CJ Stroud in year two and the opportunities here coming off a two loss season, um, you know eleven and zero for Ohio State has not exceeded expectations. I think this is the expectation. I think then beating Michigan is part of the expectation. I think that does factor into this game in an, in an important way. I have thought, Aaron, in previous years, I thought the intangibles at times did get to Michigan. Because Michigan, you know, 2016, man, they come within the spot. They maybe, maybe they were the better team that day. But, you know, you look at 18 and 19 or 17 and 18, it's like, oh, man, you know, like they're good. And then kind of, you know, Ohio State hands it to them. Um, the intangible part of this, what do you think it has done for the program all year and done for the program in preparation this week that they are no longer trying to get over the hump? They got over it. Did it change anything or not? I, yeah, it's a good point. I, I think belief is sometimes half the battle. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned it up until last year. I mean, Michigan had gotten pounded year after year, and I, I think there was part of that mental beatdown over time. I mean, there was a lot of talk of it in, in previous t- years, the lack of leadership and just the lack of success. And I think part of that was getting stomped by Ohio State every year. Um, they're getting frustrated by it, and I, I think there was, I think there's a feeling in the program. If it, it was, you know, when were they going to do it? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I, I think the mental hurdle is a big factor. When, when get guys are used to winning in big environments and in, on the big stage, I, I think that, that carries over. Um, it's, it's been talked about quite a bit this week. Players, you know, they talk about how big of a win it was last November and kind of them, you know, getting over the mountain, like you said. And uh, certainly, I, I think that plays into it, plays into it quite a bit. Offensively, let's get to the football. Blake Corum, obviously, this is a huge thing. 
Obviously, Michigan's keeping it close to the vest. What's your read on the situation? And I know the read might be, I don't know. I it's a, it's a good question because I saw him Sunday. He did a charity event in, in nearby out near near Ann Arbor, handing out turkeys like he did last year. Um, I I think he's going to give it a go, but to what degree or what shape he's going to be in, I don't know. That's the question. So I, I think he'll probably suit up. He'll probably go through pregame warmups. It'll probably be a game time decision. And, you know, given the fact that he was, quote unquote, clear to play last week after suffering the injury tells me that Jim's going to leave it in his hands. And if, if, if Blake feels like he can go, he's going to play. Um, but again, it will, we'll, I think we'll find out pro- probably early on whether he's Blake Corum or not, um, because he got one carry in the second half last week after the injury. He got, I think, four or five yards. Um, but, you know, he, he wasn't moving around like he usually does. Um, and a big part of his game is, is the cut, you know, his, his vision on the field and, and breaking tackles and, and cutting. And if he has trouble doing that, that really can really affect his ground game and Michigan's ground attack. So I think he'll give it a go. Will he be 100%? No. Donovan Edwards, what's the expectation with him as the number two back? That's a little more unclear. Uh, he, he came out of the game a couple of weeks ago. Didn't go back in. They haven't said what the injury is. Uh, he didn't suit up at all last week, which tells me one of two things. Either it's a serious injury and he's going to be out a while, or they were holding him out as a precautionary issue to get him ready for this game. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he suited up and, and again, tried to give it a go. Um, but from what I'm hearing, I, I don't know how serious the injury is, but you know, it, it could affect his play. So, I, again, I, I would lean toward him giving, trying to give it a go, but again, just like Blake being less than 100%. And for Michigan, that's certainly not ideal having their, their top two backs, um, you know, less than less than full strength. Yeah, that stinks. Such a good rushing attack. Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards are such good players. Michigan's been so good at this all year. You just you want the best from everybody in a game like this. And again, that would include Ohio State having Jackson Smith and Jigman. They're not going to have him. So this is part of it. It's unfortunate. Who's the third guy? Like, for, for, if it's worst case scenario, right? Say Corm tries and plays a series and is like, I can't do it, and Edwards doesn't play. Who's getting the ball for Michigan? It's going to be a true freshman by the name of C.J. Stokes, a three-star recruit from the state of South Carolina, very under-recruited. Jim Harbaugh did take a liking to him early on. Uh, he got some he got some carries early in the year. Um, he's kind of more of a bigger back, uh, more of a power guy, mixed between Corum and, and Edwards. Um, certainly not someone they can lean on for, I think, reliable yardage. Um, but he has he has broke a few carries this year. He has played quite a bit. So I think the the idea of playing in a Big Ten game probably isn't isn't going to be foreign to him. Um, but if they want to lean on a back for production, he's certainly not going to be the guy. So if, if those two are unable or just you know um, not at full strength, I have a hard time envisioning seeing Michigan win this game just because they've been so reliant on the run game. It's been a big part of their offense. To the point I think they're calling 62, 63% of run plays this year more than they were last year. Um, it, it would certainly be a, uh, you know, it would, it would hurt their, their chances of winning. It would be crazy if this comes down to two freshman running backs, Dallin Hayden and CJ Stokes, Dallin Hayden, uh, two eighty two in the two forty seven recruiting rankings, um, two four seven recruiting rankings, uh, seven eighty nine. I think it was for CJ Stokes. So that again, sounds this right. is like two yeah. guys who, who could wind up getting heavy shares of the load. Let's say, um, Corm and Edwards are at least reasonable facsimiles of themselves. I mean, you watch the Michigan offensive line from afar, um, the way they can get out and pull, obviously one of the best centers in the country. The, you know, the Michigan, the, the Penn State game, excuse me, like they dominate on the ground in the first half, but they are held to field goals and a couple goofy plays. 
Penn State leads at the half, and in the second half, just steamroll again. I mean, that's like, a, I think, a, a good point of comparison. Ohio State fans are aware of that because Ohio State fans, I think, wanted Ohio State to go do that to Penn State. And it's like, that's not what Ohio State does. But Michigan did it against a good defense. Describe this offensive line. How good is it? And how capable are they of making kind of whoever has the ball look pretty decent? I think they're just as good as last year, but the question everyone wanted an answer to as the season progressed was whether they were better than last year. And I don't know if we got an answer to that because they've been so banged up. They've been substituting a lot of guys and been moving guys around. Um, I think the, I think the count is four or five games where the, the the real five starters have actually played together. So it's been again, it's been difficult to get a read. But I think that has also spoken to Michigan's depth up front. It was something they were claiming early la- early early this year, going back to last year. They they legitimately felt like they were too deep in almost every spot up front, and it's really helped them because they they've kind of inserted backups into the role and without much issue. Um, they like you said, they've been able to push opposing uh, Big Ten defensive lines around, no issue. Um, it's really opened things up for Blake Corum and Dominic Edwards. The one thing about Blake Corum is, I don't, I at the heart or the core of his running, I don't think he needs much help up front just because his vision has just taken a a huge jump from last year. I mean, if you go back and watch the tape and some of these games and some of these runs he's had, it's you know he gets the ball. It's almost like he, he's he's you know he's he's pausing and then he's able to look at the line and see where the hole is and then he gets there. And it, it's it's rare for a back of that caliber to do that. And I think his vision is what makes him stand out. So the offensive line has been very good. They've opened holes up. I think they did a very good job. Like you said, that Penn State game is by far away their best example of success. If you if you go back there, I think Donovan Edwards outgained uh, Blake Corman in, in, in the rushing department that were in, in on fewer carries. Uh, so the offensive line has done its job. I mean, they've bullied up, up front. Um, they've opened holes. Uh, they've done just enough to, to open a, a, a little lane for Blake Corum, and it's been it's been fantastic. Um, it, Michigan's running identity is a little bit different from last year because last year they very much used Hassan Haskins as that short yardage goal line back, uh, and then Blake was more of the guy to kind of break the big run and get to the outside. This year, Blake's kind of been been tasked to do it all. Um, he's been used. He they like to use him on the goal line. They like to use him on third and short. They use him whenever they can. Now, part of that was because Donovan's been banged up a little bit this year. They haven't been able to get him on a regular basis. So it was kind of out of necessity. But I, I do think there was a legitimate leap in the offseason. Blake put on 10 to 15 pounds. I think he realized that to become that complete back, he needed to be, you know, that third short guy, kind of like a sign was last year. And he's certainly, um, that, that's been, I think, his biggest improvement. Sharon Moore, the offensive line coach, Matt Weiss, the quarterback's coach, co-offensive coordinators this year replacing Josh Gaddis. What have you thought of the way they've gone about it? The art, Both the science and the art of play calling, does it does it feel pretty similar offensively to the Gaddis offense a year ago? And and how does it work? Is it does Weiss call the pass plays and Moore calls the run plays? Who you know when you have co guys like that, what's the real breakdown? Yeah, so we haven't gotten any clarity on that. We've asked multiple times; they haven't said. Um, but I will say this: Matt Weiss had an interesting comment at the beginning of the year when they were asked about the the plan, the identity of the offense, and when he and he said. Um, we were executing Jim Harbaugh's vision. So it was clear to me from day one that they're running the offense that Jim Harbaugh wants run. And it was, again, it, like you said, it's very similar to the offense that Josh Gaddis ran last year. So this is still, while, while Jim Harbaugh may not necessarily be calling the plays, he's clearly dictating the, the, the path and the, the identity of this offense, what, what he wants down there. Now, the, the coaches have, had, have said several illuminating things this year. And I think one being, again, Matt Weiss, he has said that, you know, 
they realize that because Michigan plays in the northern up northern states, the cold weather and everything else, they feel like they needed to build an build an offense to um, withstand some of that stuff. And I think that goes back to the success last year against Ohio State, running the football and dominating up front. I, I think they realize that if they can't get the stars at the skill positions at quarterback and receiver, um, like Ohio State does, you got to beat them another way. And, and they've done that by like building depth at the offensive line, getting the running backs in, and, and finding ways to win on the ground. And I think. Again, this goes back to what Jim Harbaugh wanted to run years ago. He always has. It's kind of how he came into Michigan. Um, they, they started to deviate away from that a little bit when Josh Gaddis came in, but I think they quickly realized, hey, we're not going to be able to long-term win this way, especially if we're not getting the recruits. Okay. How much can they put on J.J. McCarthy in this game? And from afar, it feels like they ask him to do very specific things, throw the backs and the tight ends a lot, clearly – uh, he can run the ball, scramble, and do some things, you know, some zone read stuff. He'll pop stuff through a hole. But it feels like, you know, they just they, they haven't asked. They haven't put a game on his shoulders. Is that because they haven't needed to? So why would you? Is it because they don't think they can win that way if they need to? Like, what? how much have they kept J.J. McCarthy in a box a little bit so far this year? And how much might they unwrap him on Saturday? Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I've joked now for the last couple of weeks that J.J. McCarthy is kind of like Cade McNamara 2.0, just with a little bit more mobility. They haven't asked him to do much. Um, they haven't changed the offense, as I said, much from last year. And it's very, he's very much acted as a game manager. Um, but one of the one thing that has, has you know, um, you know, separated him from Cade McNamara is his legs. They have no, they've had no issue with him getting outside, picking up yards when they, when they, you know, scrambling and, and, and doing that on, you know, third and long or second and long. So I, I think J.J. McCarthy could very well be the X factor on Saturday, especially if Michigan's run game is banged up and they can't lean on Blake Corum and they can't lean on Donovan Edwards. They're going to need some type of ground game, and I think J.J. McCarthy is the next best chance. Um, now, he may take some hits. He may put himself in some you know, questionable situations, but I, I think if they're going to move the football on the ground, it's going to be partly because of him. Um, they've tried the deep shots. They've tried the passing game. It hasn't worked. Um, part of that is on JJ. He's missed some guys this year. His accuracy hasn't been great. Part of it, I think, is still linger from his lingering from a shoulder injury in the offseason. He just didn't throw in the spring, didn't throw much in the summer. So I think the communication and just his, his arm, I think, is a little bit off. Um, but if Michigan can connect in the passing game, um, which is something we haven't seen regularly this year, and JJ can can get 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 some yards on the ground. I think Michigan stands a chance, um, but yeah, he certainly. I think this is the game. Well, they haven't leaned on him to win a game yet. I think this may be the one on Saturday. So you watch him sometimes, and it feels like if he gets his feet set and he has you know his body under him, he can rip it right. And then sometimes it's like he gets a little loose on his footwork, or they obviously like to roll the pocket with him, and then it's like, oh, that's a miss. Like that's like what is it? There are times when it looks really good, and then I guess like we saw against the Illinois game, it's like, hey, there's a guy in the flat. Whoops, nope, you missed him by three yards. Is he just a little inconsistent when it comes to throwing the ball sometimes? It is, and I wonder if and – J- and Jim Harbaugh's made this comment a couple of times this year. He, he's, he almost fears the idea of overcoaching J.J. McCarthy, and I think part of that is being too much – you know, get, putting too much pressure on him, overcoaching him, and – and being, being being too hard on him, and I think I think Jim Harbaugh's been a victim of that in the past with some of his previous quarterbacks. Uh, maybe I'm trying to micromanaging them, and I, I think he's the last couple of years he's made a point of kind of letting JJ loose and letting him 
uh, just kind of play the way he's used to. Um, part of that, I, I think, is maybe a little overdone. Uh, I, you're right. I, I do think that there are times where he looks like a five-star quarterback. He can get outside the pocket, deliver a pass perfectly, position it correctly with the receiver. And there are times where, again, you said the footwork, or he's loose with the football and he fumbles and he's, he kind of he feels like he's out there playing in the sand lot, um, hold on to the ball too long. So you know, I think he's trying to let JJ find his way without being too too uh, protective of him, I guess. Um, he has improved, I think, J.J., the last six games or so. He's been a lot much better. He's been much better with the football. Um, but again, he hasn't been charged with winning a football game. Um, maybe the closest comparison you could, you could point to is last, last Saturday against Illinois in the second half, and Michigan's passing game didn't do so hot. Um, now, granted, they were down their starting tight end, Luke Schoonmaker, and, and they, had, they were battling the wind and everything else. But um, I'm really curious to see how J.J. shows up Saturday because all season long, especially early on, we all we heard was how, how strong his arm was and how he's going to be this program-changing quarterback and everything else. And be, to be quite frank, I haven't seen it yet. I, I've seen very much. It's been very similar to how Michigan utilized Cade McNamara last year, just the fact that they've let him kind of get loose and run with the football. So it's it's really um, it's been it's been kind of head scratching at times. Um, Michigan's had some issues with the, the receivers. I don't think Michigan has an NFL caliber receiver on this roster, unfortunately for them. And I think that's really played into some of the issues in the in the in the passing game. Um, but I, I I do I think they got to let loose, they got to let JJ loose on Saturday. Schoonmaker going to be back on Saturday? He's a good young player, right? Yeah, I mean, he's really kind of picked up where Eric All left off. I mean, he's the second on the team in, in catches and receiving yards, to give you an idea of where the passing game stands. Uh, but no, he's he's definitely hurt, helped his stock. Uh, he's he's expected to be a mid-level, uh, mid-round NFL guy. He did rest last week. I think from what I was told, it was kind of a game-time decision whether he's going to play. He did not. So I, I suspect he's going to probably play on Saturday. So the thing you said about J.J. McCarthy running the ball, he has 49 carries for 213 yards this year. That's not a ton. He hasn't had a game with more than seven carries. He has three games with more than 50 rushing yards. Could you envision a world where he just keeps it more in the zone read and he has like 15 carries? And he lit, could he lead if, if Corum and Edwards are significantly compromised? Could J.J. McCarthy lead Michigan in rushing on Saturday? I, I could totally see it, you know. And to me, if if Jay, if Blake and, and Edwards can't play or they're again limited, I think they're going to have to turn to him because he has to give CJ Stokes carries. They'll try and give Tavier Dunlap, redshirt freshman, and their only other scholarship back available um, carries. But if 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 it, be, if it becomes clear early on that they can't run the football, they can't move it on the ground, I think they're going to have no choice. They're going to try and use the tight ends. They'll throw to uh, Luke Schoonmaker, Colston Loveland, another true freshman. They've been leaning on quite a bit in the passing game. They'll try stuff, um, but they may have no choice. And J.J. may have to tuck and run it or, or, again, do some of the zone read and play action stuff because um, you know he at the end of the day, he's probably one of their best athletes on the offense. So I think when yeah. you've you got a quarterback who who can be one of your best athletes, and he has the ball most of the time. You you, you got to take advantage. So, um, I and I think there's probably some some stuff they've held back as the season has gone on. I'm sure we haven't seen everything, um, but yeah, I, I could certainly see that scenario playing out. He's he is a good athlete. I mean, that's the kind of thing like you can see even like maybe next year, year three, and Blake Corm's a tremendous player. But sort of the upside athleticism of McCarthy and Edwards as a combo of like at their best, like what that looks like, that's got a little bit – again, that's like a five-star – like two borderline five-star guys, right? That's not necessarily what Michigan has had from skill guys all the time. You can you can see how there's there's real potential there. Um, all right. Jake Moody, this, this is re- tied to z- red zone issues, right? They do just – settle for field goals in the red zone sometimes, but that guy's as 
as good as it gets. Is the red zone thing something that bugs them? Do they just sort of accept it and will take the sure three? I mean, this is a great kicker, so you feel confident when you go to him, but I'm sure they might like to cash it in a little bit more. Yeah, red zone issues were a big big problem, I'd say, the first half of the season. They've gotten a little better. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they have no problem going to the field to going to going to Moody. He's he's pretty um reliable within forty. Um doesn't have the strongest leg in the world, but he's accurate and he's pretty reliable. So um, you know, if it's fourth and long inside, you know, inside the, the thirty five forty, I think they'll they'll probably try and take the points, knowing Jim Harbaugh and everything else. Um uh, but yeah, I mean that's been an issue. The red zone issues have been um problems all year long i think part of it has been they've been kind of predictable with the run game teams know they're going to run it and they've done a good job of stopping uh, loading up the box and just stopping blake quorum or whoever it is um and that's part that was one of the criticisms a few weeks back how unimaginative michigan's offense and play calling was inside the red zone um it almost like they at times they're trying to prove a point running the ball up the middle running the ball up the middle and sometimes it didn't work um, so yeah, that we'll see what happens here. I, I suspect they're going to get a little more creative. I mean, they have no choice at this point. They, I think they want, they want to win this game. They're going to probably pull out all the stops. Um, but yeah, red zone issues have been an issue. Moody's been good. I mean, he was four for four on Saturday. He had a hiccup a few weeks back at Rutgers, uh, missed a couple of field goals, but by and large, he's been pretty reliable. All right, defensive side of the ball. I thought it was coach speak at Big Ten Media Days when Jim Harbaugh was like, oh, I've seen defenses, you, you lose stars, and then everybody like rises up. And it's like, you know what? It kind of happened. So, I mean, that's one of these things. It's like I do think from a coaching perspective, um, you know, what Jim Harbaugh has done the last two years, sometimes you're like, I don't know. And then it's like, well, it seemed like it worked. Got to the playoff last year. They beat Ohio State. They're 11-0. It feels like you, I think you do have to give Jim Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt on a lot of things at this moment because it seems like what he's doing is working. But defensively, it seems from the outside very solid, but but not maybe the high-end guys like last year. The, like Mike Morris is a good player. Do you think he'll play Saturday? But again, it's like it's not Hutchinson and Ajabo, right? Those guys tore up Ohio State last year. It seems to me like, all right, this is a good defense, but – they aren't going to get out, get after CJ Stroud in quite the same way. Yeah, you hit on it. Like I remember being in Indianapolis for the big for Big Ten media days and scratching my head when when Jim said that because I, I think coming into the year that was the big question mark is how the defense was going to replace Aiden Hutchinson and David Jabo and Daxon Hill and they they've done it without like you said without the superstar. I, I think credit to Jesse Minner, their their first year defensive coordinator who they got from Vanderbilt in the offseason. He did he came in and didn't overhaul the defense. They didn't change drastically what Mike McDonald was doing. He just kind of pulled some you know pulled some levers here and there and 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 changed things. Um I you know it's almost one of those like cliche all 11 groups because they again they haven't had a superstar at any level. They've kind of played well together. Um, you know, they've done a good job of finding rotations up front. They haven't leaned on one or two guys at edge rusher. They've, they've really used kind of four and five different guys. They have third down specialists. Um, Mike Morris has kind of emerged from that group, uh, as their top sack guy. Um, but again, his productivity, when you compare it to Aiden or David, it's about 50%. So they're getting production from other guys. Um, I, I suspect Morris will play on Saturday. It was another situation on Saturday where he against Illinois where he dressed for warm-ups, and it sounded like it was a game-time decision, and they just held him out. So he's kind of a similar boat to me as Schoonmaker. I expect him to, to suit up and probably be close to healthy. Um, but, yeah, Michigan's defense – you know, haven't they? Have none of, they haven't had a ton of turnovers, um, but they do a very good job of kind of forcing teams into three and outs. Um, kind of similar to last year with that bend don't break defense without like the superstars, like you said. There is no David David Job or Aiden Hutchinson, and that's a credit to him. Now, the caveat with all this is, and I wrote about this I think last week, and I'm live, but 
if you look at Michigan, statistically, I think they're number one or number two in the country in total offense and, and total yards allowed and, and, and points allowed and everything else. But when you break down their opponents this year, the schedule has not been very good. I mean, the average rank of their off, the opposing offenses they've played are around 100. Um, so I think some of those statistics and some of the rankings are a little overblown. Um, I, I'm not ready to say this defense is better than it was last year because I just don't think that is the case. Um, now, can they slow Ohio State and can they limit the, the the touchdowns? That is the question, and I, you know, I, I tend to think yes. I mean, they've 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 faced some similar looking offenses. You know, they they struggled with Maryland in the first half and the kind of the the the, the um you know the the running ability of Talia Tiger Viola. They did a good job at adjusting, and again, that's been a calling card of the the Michigan defense second half. They've done a very good job of adjusting up until last week against Illinois. The previous think like, four games. They were outscoring opponents 100 to three in the second half. They, they would go into halftime; it'd be a tie game. They'd be up two or whatever the case may be, and then it would just flip in the second half. So I, I think Jesse Minter is a very smart individual, just like Mike McDonald was last year. He's very good at recognizing what what is working for opponents and what isn't, and they they go about adjusting in the second half. So um, if if it's a tight game at halftime or it's Michigan's trailing, I don't I wouldn't rule them out just yet because they've they've shown that they can flip the switch and, and turn it on in the second half. I think Ohio State needs to throw to win. How good are the Michigan corners? Is DJ Turner like a number one corner that's going to handle his business against guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka? And then like Will Johnson, right? Good young player. Can can Michigan cover well enough to hang around against these receivers? That's the question. I lean toward no. DJ Turner's been targeted in the past. Um, Will Johnson's been, he's had his mistakes. He's looked good at times. I don't know if these two are ready for the moment, and, and that's what it would concern me from as a Michigan fan. I think you're going to have to use the safeties. I expect lots of five and six man backfields to kind of to, to, uh, you know, contain the, the passing game. Um, I think just like last year, Michigan's going to try and keep the ball in front of them um, because I don't think they have that lockdown, that that star corner that, that you know they may have had in the years past. Um, but it's ironic, right? Because I, I, I can think of previous years where Michigan had better corners, whether it was Levert Hill or Ambry Thomas, and Michigan got beat in the passing game. So you know it remains to be seen. I, I'm not sold on these corners. I think they're good. They're maybe above average, not elite. Um, so we'll see how Michigan decides to defend because I think they're, they're going to need some help in the backfield. All right, beyond Saturday, and it's like, why would you talk about anything beyond Saturday? It's two versus three, undefeated versus undefeated in Ohio Stadium. This is as good as it gets. But we've been having discussions this week, and we're going to continue discussions on this podcast next week, regardless of what happens. Can Michigan keep this going? And And the question is not, can Michigan flip the rivalry? But we had a healthy debate during the week about could we see a return to a version of the 10-year war where it's back and forth, where these are consistently two of the best five, two of the best 10 programs in the country. And every year it is two highly ranked, well-coached, talented teams. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And we have not had that. Like we have not had that in 30 years in this rivalry. We've had incredibly lopsided um, situations either way. And I think, you know, the idea of Michigan flipping this back to the Cooper years is, is hard to wrap your, wrap your head around. I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't uh, it, think it's impossible for this to get back to closer to even, do you think Michigan can do that? I, I think they think they can. I think they've found, I think they think they've found the recipe to do it. As I mentioned earlier, I, I think they believe they can beat Ohio State or at least remain competitive with them 
by recruiting those big beefy offensive linemen, finding the right running backs and running the right and right running the right scheme. Uh, I, I think Jim Harbaugh looked at last year and said, "Hey, we built this up. That that was their that was their intent to to do that and then beat Ohio State that way, and then the results paid out. Like it, they said, that it showed they could do it. So I, I I think until Ohio State can bash Michigan over the head again multiple years in a row, I think you're going to see this offense that Michigan has currently play out. I don't see it changing anytime soon, which is interesting to me because you've got this five-star quarterback who could probably go to any other program in the country and, and light it up in the passing game, yet he's here handing the ball off 65% of the time to running backs. Um, they're, they're gobbling up yards. So I, I, I think if that, were, if that were to end up being the case, I, I think Michigan believes they found the recipe to do it. Now, I, I don't know. It's, I think it's going to be up to, the Mich- up to Ohio State and their defensive philosophy, and, and if they think they can line up and stop it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, if you're asking Michigan fan and that's probably the ideal scenario, I mean, that's the ideal situation. You want to be competitive every year. You want to, you know, uh, share win, you know, win every other year, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and I think if you're, if you're Michigan, you're Jim Harbaugh, I, I, I think, I think they're going to stick with what they got going right now because they believe that this is the, their best opportunity uh, to do it. All right, we'll circle back to where we started, Aaron. And again, you guys should be reading Aaron McMahon and all the coverage at mlive.com slash Wolverines. How would you have described, how would you describe Michigan's chances of winning this game if Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are healthy, are as healthy as you can be this late in a physical season? Whether you want to put a number on it or just, you know, just use adjectives. You know, we're writers, we're talkers, we have words. Versus if, Quorum and Edwards are significantly compromised on Saturday, whatever that means. How much of a gap is there between those two scenarios? I, I think the gap is huge. I, I think if Quorum and Edwards are relatively healthy and can sustain a load of, of you know, 20 carries each and get their, you know, and, and can move like they, they normally can and they're and, and healthy, I, I think Michigan, it's close to probably a 50-50 game. I, I think Michigan's going to try it. They want to play the, the, the ground game. They want to try and run it down Ohio State's throat and just play it out just like they did last year. Um, if they are not healthy, I think Ohio State can run away with this game. I think they can win by two or three scores because then you're forcing Michigan to throw the ball, something they haven't had to do all season long. Not only are you asking them to do something you're unfamiliar with doing, but you're doing it in an environment where they, most of this roster has never been before. They've never played. I think there's two guys that are on this roster, Ronnie Bell, receiver, and you mentioned Jake Moody, that played in that, in that 2018 game. So I don't think they know. A lot of them understand what, what, the, what the environment's going to be like. Um, and, and, you know, they played in, in hostile environments before I can think of Penn state last year. I can think of Nebraska on the road. Um, but as you and I know, the, the horseshoe is a totally different ball game, especially for this game. So, uh, healthy, I, I think this could be a really good game, close game, competitive, could go down the wire, could be very close, just similar to 2016. Um, if they're not healthy, which I'm leaning more toward, I think Ohio state runs away with this game. All right, he's Aaron McMahon of MLive.com. Grateful for the expertise and the insight. Aaron, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy week to join us here on Buckeye Talk. Absolutely, Doug. Thanks for having me. All right, we will be right back to make our picks for this game after this. All right, time to make our picks here on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. Again, this line was floating around 12 to 14 for much of the season. Opened at eight, I think, or eight and a half, down to seven and a half as we're recording this. Fifty-six and a half the total. Nathan Barrett, we'll start with you. What are you picking in Ohio State, Michigan? I'm taking Ohio State thirty-eight, Michigan twenty-six. That would be a cover. That would be an over. 
Uh, I, and the one thing that really stands out to me when you compare these teams um, is that Michigan, as adept as it's been all season on offense, and is legitimately a team that can really get out and just flatten you in the run game sometimes, does not finish its drives consistently well. And we've seen Ohio State be a defense that, uh, uh, not bend but don't break, but while they're sometimes susceptible to having somebody get out the escape hatch and, and break a big play, they have also been good at limiting the damage a little bit. I think this year Michigan is averaging a touchdown on like 64% of its red zone possessions. And if Ohio State can keep them in that kind of range and hold them to field goals as good as their kicker is, uh, that's going to that's gonna be how Ohio State can win this game. So I'm taking Ohio State 38 to 26, uh, just because I think Ohio State and what it does offensively is better positioned to go out and actually finish off those same drives. All right, I'll jump in with my pick because it's 38-23. So I was like, oh, we're going to pick the same thing. So it's an over. It's Ohio State. I do think in the end it's closer to a two-score game than a one-score game, which does not mean a blowout, which does not mean non-competitive. I think the red zone thing is real. I think that's a, a very important thing to point out. And I do think in the end I just like, and it's what I said on the podcast on Tuesday, it's like how I, pu- I like how the puzzle pieces fit together for Ohio State, That I that I do think – what Ohio State does best, which is throwing the ball, I think they will be able to do it because I don't think the Michigan pass rush is going to destroy them like it did a year ago. And what Michigan does best with is run the ball. I just think Ohio State is substantially more prepared to deal with that, both schematically and from a personnel standpoint, than they were a year ago. So a lot of the things are the same, and Michigan is still really good. But the thing when you when you put the puzzle pieces together. The thing that Michigan had last year that really messed up Ohio State, that's not there. They don't have Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo anymore. And the thing that Ohio State was really bad at, which is we can't get off blocks. We can't cut down angles in the run game. We can't make plays and stop these guys. Ohio State's gotten better at that. So like both of those things, I think those are like the two things. And I just think if C.J. Stroud has a clean pocket, which I think he'll have, I think he'll have a big game. And if he has a big game, then I then I don't think there's a way for Michigan to win. So this is not a blowout. I think it's competitive. I think it might be like a two-score game that's more like Ohio State is up a score in the fourth quarter and ices it, kind of like the Notre Dame game, right? You got to put it away. Michigan still, hey, if you do something wrong and Michigan gets the ball back here, they could march. But I think in the end, not like a down to the last two minutes, oh my gosh, it could go either way. I just think it's a pretty good matchup in the end for Ohio State. I'll go 38-23. That is also an over and also a cover for the Buckeyes. Steven Means, what you got? Yeah, my final score doesn't reflect how I think this game is actually going to play. 52-30, to 30, Ohio State wins. Michigan becoming the third team to score at least 30 points on Ohio State this year. And I think it's close for the first three and a half quarters, maybe into the fourth quarter as well. I'm really stuck on this 2018 thing. And when we did that retalkables and how we were all like, man, this wasn't the blowout that we thought it was. This was actually pretty competitive. And it came down to a pump block, and all of a sudden, here comes the avalanche. And that's how Ohio State's offense really since that day has operated. Everything is about what moment can spark the avalanche. And I think, I don't know whether it's a pump block again for the third straight week or an interception at a key time or a fumble recovery or a random one play 75 yard drive because Ohio State popped a big play. I think it's close. Maybe it's, you know, 
21 to 17 or something like that heading into the fourth quarter. And then that play happens. And then before you blink, all of a sudden, Ohio State's got a three score lead just because that happened and it sparked everything else for this team. So I think it's competitive all game. And I think the, the actual game will reflect the fact that it's a seven and a half line right now. But by the end of the game, that avalanche is what leads the final score to not look indicative of what the game was like whatsoever. And that's a combination of that avalanche plus CJ has that moment that he needs to have to win the highest. And so 52 to 30, Ohio State wins. Three overs, three Ohio State covers, three Ohio State victories. Those are our picks from Buckeye Talk. But there's one more thing that I, I do want to get a read from you guys on. And it is the intangible aspect of this. And I have two text questions to lead us through this and finish this off. From the 614, is there any fear that Ohio State, to quote the 40-year-old version, is putting Michigan on a pedestal? I'm worried there's been so much buildup and obsession on this matchup that they will come out frozen. Whether that shows up in drop passes, missed throws, missed tackles, etc., they seem really focused and ticked off coming off of last year. But I just worry that this hyperfixation will lead to overthinking in times when instinct should just kick in. And then here's a slightly different version from the 614. If last year's result never happened, the spread this week would be around 15, and nobody would bat an eye. Last year's Michigan victory was a confluence of events. Similar to Iowa's tight ends or Purdue slot receivers, Michigan was uniquely suited to take advantage of Ohio State's defensive fatal flaw. This, coupled with an uncharacteristically talented Michigan defense, led to the situation that unfolded last year. I felt all year that this Michigan team was riding off the coattails of last season, continuously being bolstered by what was frankly a mediocre schedule with all competent components at home. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think we need to acknowledge that last year was an aberration and this year will be a rude return back towards normalcy. This person says 54 to 16, similar to Steven's score. Nathan, that idea, the question is this, how much does last year matter? How much does last year matter for this game? Because I do think intangibles matter in this. And I do think I personally am leaving some room for Ohio State tries too hard. Ohio State tightens up. Ohio State has never really had to live with this. We know we have proof with Clemson that they've done it in the past. But this is a little bit different because I think Michigan in the past has allowed the intangibles to put them behind before the ball is even kicked. And so now that Ohio State's on the losing end, it could motivate them. I think there is some slim chance that they get wrapped up in their own head and that affects the game. It's not what I think is going to happen, but I do think it's possible. In the end, how much do you think last year will affect the outcome of this one? I think last year mattered a great deal to the 364 days leading into the game. I just don't know how much it matters on the day of the game. I think the day of the game becomes about football. It becomes about executing. It becomes about beating the guy across from you. And I think that's maybe the only danger is that if every individual player starts thinking they have to beat the whole Michigan team instead of the person that's right in front of them, that's where I think you can get out over your skis a little bit. And now you're in trouble. Uh, the other thing I think is that this team has been operating in a, um, a kind of a closed environment with this disappointment slash anger slash um, chip on their shoulder, however you want to say it. And come Saturday uh, at about, you know, 10 a.m., there's going to be a whole, you know, the fact that this is a home game could be a factor. I know we've talked before about whether Ohio State has a great home field advantage. And it was interesting, the story that we wrote, I had Ohio State player parents coming right out and saying, hey, the game day environment at the big house is awesome. It's, even that it's better than it is at Ohio Stadium. But I think there's something to be said for 
the players were talking the other day, multiple players, about how much they felt they let down an entire state. And that state's going to have their back and going to be sitting around them in that stadium on Saturday. I just think that could be a factor, too, that they kind of feel that love, I guess, for lack of a better term, feel that motivation in a, in a positive way on Saturday. I, I think the interesting thing is, outside of maybe a couple of guys, handful, the core of the guys who matter to this team on the field have been dealing with this revenge thing since they showed up. I mean, the 2020 class showed up right after that Clemson game and got thrown right into something they had nothing to do with and had to deal with that. And they didn't even know if they were going to play Clemson or not. You know, they had to see how things shaked out. And they put all that aside when it was time to play football and handle their business. And then as soon as the game was over, we saw it pick right back up with the, oh, Dabo put us 11th in his coaching poll. And the last year, all of it showed right back up as soon as it was 0-0-0. So I agree with Nathan. I think they have been sitting in a hole dealing with this within the program. And then for the next two and a half hours on Saturday, they'll play football. And if it goes the way it's supposed to go, then it's going to be an interesting press conference. And it's going to be interesting listening to these players just yelling whatever they're yelling out on the field and whatnot. But I do think for two and a half hours, there is going to be a sense of just control your emo- controlled emotions. We say control chaos, controlling your emotions and making sure that it's put out the right way so you can actually get to the point where you don't have to control your emotions anymore. We'll see you at the game. That's our sixth podcast of the week. The seventh one will be after Ohio State, Michigan on Saturday. Thanks for making us part of your Thanksgiving week. Thanks for making us part of your rivalry week. If you don't typically go to cleveland.com OSU, that you kind of just are a podcast listener and you find us here, and maybe you don't even go on the internet that much anymore. This is an interesting week to to go to cleveland.com slash OSU. I would direct you first and foremost to the story about the parents of the Ohio State players. And again, it's a story you're not going to find anywhere else. We've been doing a bunch of matchup, Ohio State guy versus Michigan guy. Lots of other good content off of interviews this week. This would just this is a good week to check in. It's a little nuts, but especially maybe you have a day off or something and you don't know what else to do. You're out shopping on Black Friday. Go to cleveland.com slash OSU and see what you think. Uh, and again, if you want to try the text, we'd love to have you. 614-350-3315. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're thankful you guys are here with us every time you listen to Buckeye Talk. We will see you on Saturday from Ohio Stadium for Stephen Means and for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Dog.